It is 7 p.m., so we will start the meeting. If you would please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you for joining us this evening. And we will start with the superintendent's report on B1. Dr. Henson. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. I'm pleased to uh, tell you about a relevant learning experience tonight that our students took part in at Indian Woods recently. Students enrolled in a class called It's My Business presented their plans in a competition hosted by Junior Achievement. You can see some of their pictures on the screen. They shared their great ideas with a panel of individuals from throughout our community. I was pleased to be one of those panel members, a difficult position to be in because the students did a fabulous job. Some of the ideas included an improved video game arm, a business that provides gluten and dairy-free baked goods, and a mouse, like technology <laughs> mouse, that would assist patients with Parkinson's disease in using a computer. I was glad to announce that two of the top contest winners will be able to put their idea into action. Our information and communication technology team has agreed to help one of these student teams develop an app that will allow for better student collaboration on homework assignments. And then our bistro will also be working with students on the baked good idea of gluten and dairy-free items as well. So this was a great experience, but a middle school initiative. We appreciate the cooperation assistance from junior achievement. More students in the Shawnee Mission School District will be able to take part in Jump Start learning this summer thanks to a grant from the Early Education Funders Collaborative at the Greater Kansas City Community Foundation. The grant is in the amount of $373,508. And this significant amount of support will allow more students to spend time in the summer learning with their future teacher and classmates in preparation for kindergarten. Our data has shown in incoming kindergarten students who participated demonstrated stronger early reading and math skills. And a special thank you to the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation for their work in relation to this grant. We have a slide for you tonight in relation to, as you know, we are moving in the next several months and finding a lot of archives. This archive that I have before you tonight is from the 1971-1972 school year. A little difficult uh, probably to read for some of you, but there's been conversation that we've made changes recently that we've eliminated the name of Christmas and the name of Easter, and those conversations simply are not true. The calendar before you shows as far back as we can find from 1971 to 1972 where we were calling it winter vacation and winter break and that has not changed in the Shawnee Mission School District and our long-standing practices in relation to how we approach religious holidays have not changed. In relation to the conversation about what we're going to do at Trailwood Elementary School, at Trailwood Elementary School, you can see a letter that was sent out on December 13th. And it was sent from our PTA president and building principal from Trailwood Elementary School in relation to the process 
of determining when we uh, demolish the current building, and it's current not for very much longer, that students are in the trail wouldn't move into the new building. So the process is outlined, the next step being in January when a meeting takes place between all the contractors and then also the PTA president and building principal will be represented. They have asked for, the PTA president and building principal have asked for input <coughs> questions from the community that might have concerns. So you see the process that's outlined there before you this evening. As we speak, or just in a few minutes at 7.30 tonight, the Overland Park City Council will be entertaining the potential creation of a TIF tax increment financing TIF district for what currently serves as the Brook Ridge Golf Course and Clubhouse there. So the City Council is considering tonight the approval of a TIF district. If they approve the TIF district tonight, then as you are aware, we have TIF guidelines that have been approved by this board, and then we will look at those guidelines, form the TIF committee that are outlined in, the, uh, in that guideline. The council may not approve the TIF district tonight. We don't know how that vote's obviously going to turn out. So reminding you, there's a TIF district, which is the geographical boundary. So this is not in relation to the TIF projects. If they create the TIF district tonight, we have, by statute, 30 calendar days to decide if we want to weigh in on this issue. After the 30 days expires, the school district and any other taxing jurisdiction doesn't have any legal authority to weigh in to those discussions in relation to the creation of the projects. So reminding you, the TIF district is permanent until the council votes to collapse the TIF district projects going for 20 years and those projects can go 20 and then another 20 and then another 20 and so that's a part of the discussion in relation to TIF projects. For the council's consideration it's simply the creation of the TIF district, the geographical boundary. We do not have any what we call performa information at this point in time. Performa is the financial information. So that has not been provided to us as a school district. I don't know if the city has that information or not, but as you know, we have representatives that are not with us tonight here at this podium. They're at the Overland Park City Council meeting. The project, as we understand, subject to change, but the project, they're talking about 2,187 doorways. At that particular unit, the project would be upward of $2 billion. We've heard numbers of $1.8, $1.9 billion. And then the question becomes, how much of that project would be tax revenue that would have been paid to the Shawnee Mission School District that would go to the developer for that project? So uh, that's what we know at this point in time. And again, that uh, the council meeting convenes at 7.30 tonight. What they do or don't decide could have a significant impact on us going forward in relation to the Brook Ridge development. I also want to let you know, uh, over the last several weeks, I've had some great conversations with individuals, small groups, and entities. I especially want to recognize the uh, Shawnee Mission NEA. They've been great in these conversations. And the conversations have really ranged from a lot of different topics. And I'll give you a couple of these topics, but these are not... Uh, silo topics. We've really been talking about do we have a comprehensive bias awareness professional development for our employees and what would that look like? 
And do we, in our community, which would be all of us, do we have bias that we may or may not be aware of those bias that we carry? We've talked about how we treat each other in the society that we live. How do we have, I'm listing some topics, how do we have civil and productive conversations about difficult issues? How do people that have differences of opinion really have those civil and productive conversations? Certainly we've talked about cultural awareness, cultural diversity. So we've talked about a lot of different issues in relation to, and I'm going to again summarize overall umbrella, how we, how we really treat each other, how we treat each other even though we might have differences of opinion on issue, how we might have differences in skin color, or you can go down the whole, whole list of things. An issue that's really relevant in our society right now in relation to how we treat each other. Expect a plan in January about how we have these conversations and how we really move forward. That's it for my report tonight, Mrs. Goodburn. Thank you, Dr. Henson. Okay, we have a special presentation, C1, presentation by the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation and Executive Director Kim Hinkle. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Good evening. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn and Dr. Henson and members of the Board of Education. I am so pleased to be here, and I'd also like to recognize Dean Davison, our immediate past president of um, the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation, who's here tonight as well. As the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation comes to the end of a successful 2016, we know that we can't support our kids without the generosity of our community. Donors to the foundation have allowed us to do so much for our students this year, and we are forever grateful for their support. Because this is the season of giving, the board of directors of the foundation wanted to make a year-end gift to the district that will deeply impact the innovative teaching and learning that happens there each day. So back in the spring of 2016, Dr. Henson demonstrated an anatomage table. Anatomage is a cutting-edge technology, Terry, would you put that up on the screen if you don't mind, that allows students to fully access a virtual dissection of human and animal cadavers without the chemicals, the cost, or the ethical concerns of traditional dissection. This piece of equipment is standard at medical schools across the country, but we find out that just three public K-12 schools in the entire nation have one. And so the foundation thought that it was critical for our learners to have access to this caliber of technology. So we're thrilled to announce that the first anatomage table in any K-12 school in Kansas or Missouri or Oklahoma or Colorado or Nebraska or even Arkansas is going to be right here at our Center for Academic Achievement. which we know is the home of our district's esteemed signature programs. And we believe giving our students access to world-class technology and learning experiences is crucial for the future of our kids and our community. But we all know we cannot rely on state funding to provide innovative equipment and experiences for our kids. While this anatomage table is a great start, it's really just the beginning. If we want our students prepared for our community's workforce and ready and able to change the world, we have to give them the tools, the technology, and the experiences to do that. 
In the coming months, the foundation, in partnership with the district, will be calling on our community to invest in our kids on a deeper level than they ever have before. We'll be asking for partnership and investment in our signature programs that ensure relevant and rigorous learning for our students. We seek the help of our community to ensure our learners succeed and to provide the experiences that stoke the fires of our students' potential. Thank you to our community, thank you to our donors, and thank you to all district educators who continue to disrupt the status quo and grow groundbreaking opportunities for our learners. All of us at the foundation are proud to be your partner. Wow. Wonderful news. Thank you so much for coming tonight and sharing that with us. When the table arrives, whenever, whenever it arrives, I want to emphasize it's not only the, the human cadaver, but it's really not a cadaver. And you can see a little bit on the screen about how you can rotate. You can uh, look at different parts. You can peel back the skin, look at muscle layers, nerve connectivity, and everything else. But also in relation to there are a number of different animals and mammals as well. So when we talk about uh, dissection and how that's occurred in the past, now it can happen through technology. So it's a great tool. Uh, we are uh, deeply indebted to the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation and to our community as well. Um, you want to be there when students first see it. You really want to be there when that occurs, and so uh, that'll be a, a special <coughs> opportunity. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we move to open forum, D1. Let me remind everyone, we have quite a few speakers tonight, um, and so let me, let me remind you of our rules. Addressing the board during each regular business meeting, the Board of Education provides an open forum as an opportunity for public comment on school district issues. Agendas are published in advance to notify the community of the topics under consideration. Patron comments are welcome. The board president will place a time limit per speaker on open forum remarks. If a group has comments, a, a spokesperson should be selected to speak on behalf of the, of the group. We have a few tonight, and so I'm going to place a three-minute time limit, just like we did last meeting, um, with uh, Dr. Denny providing the timing. Thank you. Um, and he will give you a red napkin <laughs> at what time? 2.30. At 2.30, okay, two minutes and 30 seconds. And then at three minutes, he's going to give you what? Oh, wait. The green napkin. Okay. The green napkin at three minutes. Okay, and I'm going to really try to stick to that tonight as well because we do have quite a few speakers tonight. Okay, first up is Mark Ellis. Uh, last year, I was made aware that the Shawnee Mission School District had decided to no longer recognize Christmas break uh, and instead had decided to call it winter holiday or winter break. Now, earlier I heard a comment that Shawnee Mission School District had been doing this for years. I have two children who've gone through the district. One is still in the district, and they started in 2003, and up until year before last, I've always heard it as Christmas break. So. Um, after I heard this, I contacted Dr. Strike. Dr. Strike and I, we speak every year at the beginning of the year on other topics uh, such as curriculum. Uh, and he sent me an email response. He always responds uh, very swiftly. And uh, his, I quote from his email, as a public school district, we cannot violate the establishment clause of the U.S. Constitution. 
which forbids the school from promoting or inhibiting a religion of any type. I hope this addresses your question. So uh, with that being said, you know, it sounded to me like Dr. Strike was saying, well, this comes from the U.S. government. Uh, I found out that it didn't come from the U.S. government. I have a gentleman back there who's a sort of an expert on the U.S. Constitution. He's going to speak on that later. But I did contact uh, Governor Brownback's office, and I have a letter from him, signed by him, whereas he states uh, that he contacted the Kansas State Board of Education, and uh, he just wanted to assure me that this rule of not calling Christmas break Christmas anymore did not come from the state level or the federal level, and that it was decided on by or decided on locally by the school board and the district administration. Um, I guess my question is also from Dr. Strike. Um, he said that the decision was made year before last, and I quote, as not to offend anyone. I don't want to get into the who we don't want to offend right now, but. Um, in a letter dated August 23rd, I asked for a response from Dr. Henson. I never received a response, so I called, and the response I got from his secretary was, he said that he's got your letter and basically is not going to respond. So tonight what I'm asking is, um, you know, are we going to get a response as to what the district's going to do as far as Christmas? It's not on our agenda tonight. Okay. There's nothing on our agenda well, tonight about any that. Okay, well, when will it be on the agenda? There's no plans to have it on the agenda. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay, our next speaker is Kathy Johnson. Thank you for letting me come speak with you tonight. My name is Kathy Johnson. I'm here on behalf of the 323 households in Pinehurst Estates whose children attend Brookridge Elementary School, Indian Hills Middle School, and Shawnee Mission South High School. I'm the HOA Board Vice President, and with me tonight is another member of the uh, HOA Board. As Dr. Henson already mentioned, as we speak, the Overland Park City Council is considering a request for over $550 million in Johnson County taxpayer money for redevelopment of the Brookridge Country Club. 388 million of which will be in TIF funding if this goes as according to plan. My understanding is that you'll need to make a decision by January 18th if the City Council votes tonight to move this forward. I'm here to ask the Board to oppose this proposed TIF district because our children's future is much more important than a developer's shortfall in funding. At the school board meeting of October 2015, the Board was briefed about the potential impact of TIF districts on schools. The future described was grim. The, voice, the staff voiced alarming concerns regarding this lost revenue stream, including the direct impact on maintaining district infrastructure. As one staff member said, we don't want to wake up 20 years from now when the money starts to flow from the TIFs out there and find that our schools are crumbling and families decide to move to other parts of Johnson County. In response to the multiple projects and proposals out there that are expected to request TIF, district staff indicated that there are no funds to handle increase in student enrollment, including the need for new furniture, technology, and building additions. Without revenue coming in to handle the increased demand on services created by a larger student population, staff has predicted that we would need to either dilute services to our students by increasing class size or have to ask the community for tax increases. 
Education is a high priority, but no one in this room truly wants their taxes to go up. Currently, almost 52% of my tax bill, maybe yours, will go to the Shawnee Mission School District. We know the school board is mindful of how this $1.8 billion project, somewhere in that range, and the possible loss of more than $388 million over the next 20 years will affect all patrons of the school district and the impact on your ability to provide the highest quality education for our students. School funding is already questionable at the state level. As the staff stated at the 2015 <coughs> meeting, the school board is the check and balance. In the best interest of my four grandchildren and the 27,521 children who currently attend Shawnee Mission Public Schools, we ask the board to take action to oppose this TIF if the Overland Park City Council chooses to move it forward. Thank you very much. Next up, we have Connie Strand. Hello. I'm also with the Pinehurst Estates Homes Association. I also grew up in the Shawnee Mission District, and I chose to raise my son in the district, who's now an adult, and I care deeply about this school district and that its ability to maintain its fine reputation over the next 20, 30, 40 years. What I'd like to do is just read the letter that our Homes Association sent to the City Council to get it into your record. Um, and I believe you all have copies of it as well. So I'll read quickly, get it in with three minutes. Um, <clears throat> this is from our board president, Dwight Arn. And it is to the City Council of Overland Park, the Board of Directors of Pinehurst Estates Homes Association, representing over 320 households, unanimously oppose the establishment of a tax increment financing district for the Brook Ridge Golf Course. The Brook Ridge project does not meet the criteria for establishment of a TIF district. The area contains no buildings or improvements in need of refurbishment or replacement. It is not in economic decline. Instead, Brook Ridge Golf Course is a vital business with active use by its members. The biggest concern with the proposed TIF district is the threat of diverting hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenues, which will be needed to bear the increased burdens on police and fire protection, street maintenance and improvements, increased school populations, and other needs. A TIF district means the burdens will be there, but the revenues will not be there. So the revenues for the burdens must come from the rest of the taxpayers of Overland Park. If this TIF district were for the purpose of reviving a blighted area, it might be worthy of consideration, but it is not. Rather, this is a green field that is prime development land. It is therefore completely inappropriate for tax incentives, incentives and government subsidies amounting to over $500 million, including the linked star bonds in corporate welfare. In particular, this project proposes to build over 2,000 new residential units. That means more students, more police and fire needs, and more traffic. The Brookridge project should pay its own way. It should not get a free ride from a misguided TIF district. The City Council should make a decision now before burning up the energy and time whether TIF is at all appropriate for all or part of this project. We urge you to vote no on a TIF district for this development. And I sincerely hope this doesn't come before the school board. So thank you very much. Okay, next we have Liz DeSalvo. Good evening. My name is Liz DeSalvo, and I'm a parent to two children at Trail Elementary. I'm also a neighbor to the school. And my first order of business is to thank you for our new school. It's incredible. I will not be waking my kids up tomorrow morning because they are so excited to go to this new school. They're going to wake up on their own for once. But we do have a big concern about the demolition of this school. 
We have a petition, I think you're aware of, online with 279 signatures asking you to please delay this demolition. Uh, we have a unique situation at Trailwood because you built the school on site while our kids were in the school. This building, the new building, is built around the old building. It's virtually feet away. So when the demolition happens, there are going to be hazardous materials in the air that will be close to our children. Our recess area is feet away from this demolition space, and it's very concerning where these kids are going to be running and breathing deeply, that they are going to be breathing in air that the construction workers will be protected from with respiratory protection that is mandated by OSHA, and our children will have no protection from this same hazard. And the OSHA requirements that Mr. Robinson and Mr. Oaks have promised me that the school district is meeting only apply to the demolition site. They don't apply to the school building, the new building. They don't apply to the recess area. They don't apply to the walkways that our children will be taking to get into the building while this demolition will be happening, and it's a risk. Mr. Robinson and Mr. Oaks met with me personally and told me that the demolition while the kids are on site is a low-risk situation. In my opinion, a low risk to known carcinogens, such as asbestos and silica, is it's a calculated risk with the health of, and future of our children. And I don't think it's worth rushing through a demolition when we can delay this until the building will be vacant. I have spoken with the executive director of the Healthy Schools Network and then also a Children's Mercy Environmental Health Specialist will be attending the January 10th meeting. And according to both of them, it is best practice to delay any sort of demolition, construction, renovation until the building is vacant and people will not be breathing anything that is harmful. I feel that Shawnee Mission is a best practice district. I think that we can expect that from our district. I think you expect that from our students to exceed the minimum. And I think that we, in return, as well as the students in return, should be able to expect for the district to exceed the minimum when it comes to their health and their exposure to these hazardous materials. So, thank you. Uh, next we'll hear from Melinda Sutton. Hello, I am Melinda Sutton and I have two children at Trailwood Elementary. It's my I don't know, I've been there for years because my son now is at Indian Woods. And I want to ask you all to please delay the demolition of our school. Um, the demolition dust um, is just too hazardous for our kids to be breathing, for our staff to be breathing. Um, the risk is, at worst, mesothelioma. Um, I know there's going to be abatement. I know that they're going to do the best they can, but I believe all the flooring in the whole building is asbestos flooring. And so I just don't want my kids having that chance of getting it because you don't find out for like 20 years, you know, if actually you, you get the mesothelioma. And I started a Facebook site, and a woman um, joined it, and she has mesothelioma, and I just want to read quickly what she wrote to us. Um, she says, I was diagnosed at age 36 
Just three and a half months after my only baby was born, I was exposed to asbestos when I was eight or nine years old. I lost my left lung, and I don't remember the whole first year of my daughter's life because I was undergoing treatment, both chemo and radiation, but that by the time I was 40, I racked up close to a million dollars in medical expenses. You cannot put a price on human life, and no amount of cost-saving or schedule-keeping is worth the loss of a lung, or worse yet, a life. So I know it would be great to have that building gone, but I just want to my, ki my kids not to be breathing any of this stuff, because literally the building it is like from here to here, and you know, wrecking balls and what have you, the dust just starts flowing, and so I just ask y'all, not to have our kids be breathing that dust. And I really want to keep the safety of the children and staff um, number one goal. Thank you so much. Um, next we have David Kirsch. Hi, thank you very much. Uh, my name is David Kirsch. Uh, I'm a graduate of the Shawnee Mission Schools. Um, I actually did not take high school bio biology because I was scared of dissection, either a pig <laughs> or a cat at the time. So I'm really happy to hear about the new technology. Um, and even more important, um, as, as you guys know, tomorrow morning we're moving into our new school. And as Liz mentioned, um, for many of the students, like my own daughter in third grade, tonight is one of eager anticipation. It's rivals probably only the first day of school. Um, and we parents are also thankful for this new modern uh, building that really our entire community can and should be proud of. Um, however, for some parents, the coming weeks and months are filled less with eager anticipation than anxiety and dread. Um, as we've heard several times already, the current plan calls for demolition of the old school building to proceed over the course of the second semester. Um, indeed, the designated play area is separated from the demolition site only by a construction fence. Um, the hazardous materials involved here are well known. Um, the district's own reporting documents, uh, the, or the district's own reporting documents, the known extent of hazardous materials present. Um, we do trust that the contractors involved have exemplary records, but we also understand that things do not always go according to plan. Indeed, at abatement and demolition of three recent schools in the district, uh, new asbestos was discovered when the planned abatement stage had been completed and demolition had commenced. So you took all of the safeguards away. That's not a rare occurrence, but it's actually something that we should be treating as an expected outcome. You know, indeed, it would be reckless of the district to go in and find where all of the asbestos is because we know as long as it's intact and in place, it does not present a problem. But on a demolition site, we know that accidents and mishaps and surprises can and will happen. And unfortunately, in these cases, as the environmental specialist at Children's Mercy Center um, told us, it is the student with the weakest respiratory systems that serve as our canaries in the coal mine. Bob Robinson has indicated that the current plan does not call for monitoring either outside outdoor air quality, that's anywhere outside the tented area, or air quality within the school. So our indicators that something might be wrong will be when kids suffering from acute asthma or complex health issues. Those are those students whose well-being <coughs> depends on the overall environmental standards of the school. It's when these students 
show signs of weakness. For some of the parents of these children, even the prospect of standing here before you tonight and discussing this is an overwhelming task. It means that they're facing a personal choice between their children's education and their children's well-being. There is, however, an easy answer. Thank you. The district could delay its current schedules to allow abatement and demolition to take place over the summer. We understand that there will be uh, difficulties with this, but we can persevere with these difficulties, meaning a lack of parking and lack of play area, to ensure that the new school is equally inviting to those at Trailwood with the most fragile health. We can remove the risk for the 457 students, faculty, and staff and make sure that demolition takes place with zero additional risk. Thank you very much. Next up is Olivia War Warford Grow. Hello. Ladies and gentlemen of the school board, thank you for listening. I was at the last school board meeting, and I was moved by the brave people who spoke for common sense and inclusivity. While I appreciate that each member of the board is taking the time to listen attentively, I do feel like the concerns of the public have fallen on deaf ears. It is alarming to me. I have a child with asthma that attends Trailwood. I am very concerned that the school board does not care about the health and safety of my child or the other children and staff, as it has so vocally shown in their response to teachers and staff who want to wear a symbol of comfort to scared students. I am very alarmed by the lack of transparency in these grave safety issues, especially with asbestos, lead, and silica dust in the demolition of Trailwood Elementary. But rather than just complain, I'd like to offer the following suggestions to ameliorate the concerns of the parents, students, and the public at large. Live stream the January meeting between Mr. Lawrence and the safety experts. We would like to know what is going on in that meeting, what the safety experts have to say. Make the minutes of the meeting and any relevant documents available to the public. And if you do decide to proceed with the existing demolition schedule, please install air monitoring systems in the inside and outside of Trailwood, anywhere where kids or staff are, and make that data available to the public. And let us know that you're listening to these concerns, for we vote and we remember. In closing, I would like you to know that my family moved here because of the school. My husband graduated from Shawnee Mission South and received an excellent education. I would like to make Shawnee Mission schools great again, but right now I have no faith in this board or the superintendent. Please prove me wrong. Thank you. Next up is Jared Guthrie. Good evening. I am here to request the board reconsider the demolition of Trailwood. By way of background, I'm a Shawnee Mission graduate, KU graduate, licensed attorney. I've spent the past 15 years in the construction industry. Uh, I was previously assistant general counsel for one of the largest construction companies in North America, and I have dealt with numerous situations where things have not gone as planned. Everybody sets out with the best intentions. But as we know, things don't always go accordingly. 
a simple mistake, a misstep, a breach of that secure area can lead to contamination of a larger area. With the wind, as we've been seeing recently and continues throughout the spring and winter months, can spread that contamination to the new building. It would be a shame to spend $13 million on the construction of a new school only to have it be contaminated with asbestos or silica dust. Silica dust is measured in nanometers, small enough to get through basic air filters. I have not heard any remediation or steps that will be taken to protect the new school from this. Air monitoring has, that has been uh, spoken before would be a great step. But the best step would be to delay the uh, demolition until the children and the staff are not in the school. The cost, and there will be a cost, is minimal. Again, I know how these things go. We can direct the contractor to delay the demolition of the work. We will pay a fee for that, but that fee will be minuscule compared to the potential harm that would come to the children and staff should it continue as planned. The way these things go, we can't foresee the future. We want to assume that everything will be great, and it may be, but there is a small risk. With that small risk comes catastrophic harm. Delaying the demolition brings zero risk. No one's in the building. There is no one at recess. The only people there are the workers with the protection who know what they're doing. J.E. Dunn is a great construction company. They're well known throughout the area as being a wonderful partner. They've done a fabulous job with the school. The abatement contractor, I've spoken to people who know them personally. They do fabulous work. No one is doubting the capability of these contractors. No one is calling them into question. There's simply a fear that something may go wrong, and it could go wrong. And if it does, the harm to the children and the staff would be catastrophic. I have three children at Trailwood, Elliot, Charlotte, and Carson. If anything were to happen to them, it would be the end of my world. I'm asking you to please reconsider the schedule. The tens of thousands of dollars we may have to pay pales in co comparison to the harm that could be caused. Thank you. Next up, we have Greg Lawrence. Good evening. <clears throat> All right, my name is Greg Lawrence. I'm the principal at Trailwood Elementary. Uh, first, I want to thank the board and uh, our community for reinvesting in Trailwood. Our teachers began moving in today after school. They got their first glimpse of the building, and uh, their excitement was, uh, was fun to watch. Um, most important, we are all excited to see the kids' faces tomorrow when they enter the new building tomorrow afternoon around 1230 and uh, spend some time in there tomorrow afternoon. I want to thank the Trailwood parents and neighbors for their ongoing patience during the construction of a new school building. And special thanks to the district for taking the time to thoughtfully respond to parents' concerns throughout the process. In my role, I've been informed by the community about both the concerns and the support of the current timeline, which includes abatement of the building beginning in January and demolition likely uh, beginning in March. Concerns specifically about the abatement and demolition processes center around the air quality during those processes and how that might negatively impact the health of our students and staff. With the help of Dr. Southwick and Mr. Robinson, a meeting is set for January 10th to re-examine any potential safety and environmental risks. The meeting will include representation from the school district, J.E. Dunn, the abatement company, 
the Kansas State Department of Health, a pediatric environmental hygienist from Children's Mercy Hospital. Um, yes. Krista Rupp, our <coughs> PTA president, and myself will also attend that meeting. The primary purpose of that meeting is to gather more information from a broader circle of experts. We've been assured by district leaders that January 10th is not too late to hold this meeting and make changes to the schedule if they're warranted. Whether we follow the existing plan, have some delay or some modified plan, I would like to, my, I would like to express my appreciation for the thoughtfulness of district leadership around the issue. Should the abatement and demolition process progress, our community's desire to see the new drive and parking area off of 95th Street and perhaps more importantly, a new playground space for the kids will be welcome sites. Regardless, I'm encouraged by the care and consideration of both parties and the support the goal of doing what's best for the children, staff, and families of Trailwood. And thank you for your time. Um, next up is Victoria Savage. Hi, good evening. Like you said, my name is Victoria Savage, and I currently have a third and sixth grader at Trailwood Elementary. And my statement in favor of delaying the demolition is just simply this. Demolishing an asbestos-laden building while children ages 5 to 12 play outside so nearby the abatement is taking a risk that does not need to be taken. A short delay. That's all we're asking. A short delay is all it takes to turn a low-risk project into a no-risk project. No amount of asbestos can be breathed in, especially by young developing lungs, safely. Any microscopic asbestos fiber that has the potential to cause cancer, this is not a theoretical risk to Trailwood community. The risk of, of, of asbestos is real, personal, and they are devastating. You cannot put a price on a human life, and no amount of cost saving or schedule keeping is worth more than the health and safety of every single child and staff member at Trailwood. In addition to the asbestos risk, the demolition dust is a real problem as well. It is such a problem that the contractors will wear masks anytime they're on the job site, but what will our children and teachers do when they are outside at recess? There's a reason that the contractors will wear these masks. So please, don't subject our children and teachers to the demolition contaminants that the workers will be protected from. I also want to acknowledge that yes, I was a parent who complained that our kids would not have playground equipment for a year because of the construction. I am also fully aware that delaying demolition could mean that our kids will go longer without a sufficient playground and that the new school will lack some completed landscaping and hardscaping by the start of the 2017 school year. But I, and along with lots of other parents, are more than willing to accept that trade-off. Dr. Kenny Southwick was just quoted in the Kansas City Star saying, and I quote, we never want to put students at risk. And yet, the SMSD environmental program coordinator told a fellow Trailwood parent, Liz Azalvo, that the on-site demolition is considered low risk. So the bottom line is this, low risk is still a risk. I'm asking the district to do the right thing and wait until summer when the demolition will be a no-risk situation for the 457 students and staff at Trout Elementary, period. Clearly, the district's decision to keep the students in the current building during construction was an unfortunate one. Let's not double down on a bad decision. Thank you for your time.
Next up is Kim Whitman. Hi, I'm Kim Whitman. I'm also a parent at Trailwood Elementary. I am concerned that the ambitious timeline of the project is again taking priority over the best interests of our children. The administration has been extremely poor communicators throughout the whole new building project, starting with the promise that our community would be involved in the process. Instead, parents had to raise concerns, send many emails, and make lots of phone calls in order to get a meeting with the administration, and then it was only with five parents, not the whole community as promised. Another example is when our children returned from summer break, when we were greeted with an unexpected surprise. The only remaining outdoor play structure that our PTA had purchased had been removed and our kids had no play equipment. Once again, parents had to raise concern, send lots of emails, and make phone calls in order to get our children some equipment for their recess time. And now we are approaching abatement and demolition of the existing building, which I assumed would be occurring over the summer when the children and staff were off-site. But no, that is not the case. And once again, the administration have been poor communi communicators, and the parents have had to not only raise concerns, send many emails, and make lots of phone calls, but also create a petition and a Facebook page. The poor communi communication of the administration speaks loud and clear to us. It honestly makes them hard to trust. They appear to not be concerned of the possible impacts of the abatement and demolition on our children. They don't seem to understand that mistakes happen and therefore there is a risk that needs to be addressed. I am an architect and I have been on mul a multitude of construction sites. No construction project is ever 100% perfect and goes as planned, especially when dealing with an existing building like Trailwood. I strongly urge the board to get involved, to hold the administration accountable, to not assume that they have weighed all the risks to our children. Put yourself in the place of a parent, a parent with a five-year-old child with asthma or a weakened immune system. Would you be comfortable sending your child to the school while workers are removing asbestos and other contaminants in protective gear just feet away? Please consider what is at stake here. Prioritize what is best for our children. Is it a circle drive in landscaping or is it a modified timeline that presents no risk at all? Thank you for your time and consideration. Randy Ficke. Good evening, and thank you for listening to our concerns. I'm going to be using all three minutes, so please let me know when my time is up. I think the parents tonight have said so many things, and it's, some of them have wrote it down on paper. Some of them have spent lots of time preparing what they would say to you tonight. I didn't write anything down, and I didn't prepare. But what I did do over the last few days is I actually went and sat down with some mesothelioma survivors and they're only survivors for a temporary period of time because they all have been given their death sentence. They all know it's coming. They all know it's right around the corner. On Saturday, I attended a funeral of a 34-year-old man that died of mesothelioma. I'm not sure if any of our children will get it, and I know that each and every one of you want the best for our children. 
But I'm not here to talk about our children. I'm here to talk about our children's children. Because if our children's children have to bury their parents and we have to bury our children because you made a mistake or because you didn't evaluate the cost or you felt like the benefit outweighed the risk, there is a risk. Low risk, no risk, some risk. There are children that are going to be feet away, separated by a chain link fence from dust, from allergens, and I pray that not one of them is affected by it. I want to say right now, Terry Wiederling, you are valued, you're important, and your life is important. Donna Bicefield, you are love, you are light, you are peace, you are perfect, and you deserve to have a long life. Jim Henson, shame on you that we're still having this conversation when there are 407 children involved and 50 staff members. Sarah Goodburn, I love you. I don't know you. We've never met, but your life matters. Craig Denny, I love the fact that you're wearing your Christmas outfit tonight, not your holiday outfit or your winter break outfit. Patty, I demand that you look at me because we're looking in the eyes of 407 children. And if you can't look at me, that tells me a lot about where you feel on this matter. Cindy Neighbor, I have watched you. I'm sitting and I have watched you and I just want to applaud you because I see you listening. I see you taking in every word. And I see you actually thinking to yourself, what's the right decision? Ed, do the right thing, my friend. These are children. How much time do I have left? Ten seconds. Ten seconds. I'd like to take these last ten seconds for a moment of silence for every child that might be buried because of your mistake. Next up, we have Lisa Powell. Hi, my name is Lisa Powell. My son, Grant, is a sixth grader at Trailwood, and he's very, very excited about tomorrow, and I'm excited for him. He gets to move all of his supplies in, and, you know, he just came home with smiles, and I love that. Um, and I don't know if you guys have children, but I, I can tell you that I am very concerned about the demolition and what's going to be happening. My family, my husband, myself, and my son did bury a friend that had mesothelioma. And for those of you that don't know, anybody that is diagnosed with mesothelioma is the result of asbestos. And it's that exposure that is so concerning to me and all the other parents. My son is such a joy, and I just, I can't imagine that there is any kind of, even the smallest risk that we want to expose him or any of the other kids to. Um, and I just want to read really quickly that there was a document that I saw on the EPA's website. Um, it has seven different requirements for the best management practices. And the fifth one on here says, set a project schedule so that the asbestos abatement occurs outside of the school year or during holiday breaks. And I think that that would really be the best thing for everybody because we don't want to have a situation where there's even the smallest risk. Anybody gets hurt or any of the kids gets exposed is something that I definitely don't want to deal with. So I just, I really wanted to just come forth and say, think about my family, think about my kid, 
think about all of the families that are involved, and we just really hope and pray that you keep us into consideration when you make your decision. So that's it. Thank you. And our last speaker tonight is Ben Terrell. Good evening. Uh, I am a graduate of uh, Shawnee Mission West in 1975. My children are also graduates of the Shawnee Mission Schools. I'm here tonight to speak to you about Christmas. When I started in the Shawnee Mission Schools in 1962, I sang in choirs where we sang Christmas carols, such as Heart the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. I am aware, as the superintendent uh, aptly put on the slideshow, that that was changed by a vocal group of uh, one faith community uh, and, and around the, uh, at least the 1970-71 uh, school year, as he indicated. But it hasn't always been that way. And it doesn't always have to be this way. Because our country was founded on Christian principles and because going back to 1870, 100 years before the school district made that decision, Christmas was made an official holiday of these United States under the president then, Grant, and has been celebrated and continues to be celebrated. I remar had to remark to myself as I was driving here this evening for this opportunity to speak to you how many Christmas lights I saw how many Christmas shoppers I passed, and how many Christmas trees and wreaths must be in most of our homes. So why, I ask myself, is my school district, which I pay 52% of my taxes to, afraid to even mention the word in the halls um, where my grandchildren may soon be going to school. Um, and all I can do is go back to the First Amendment and um, my friend Mark Ellis' uh, communications that he received from the district. And I'm aware of, of all of the uh, things that, that have happened in this relation, but I'm looking at the actual words of the First Amendment, which read, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And it goes on to talk about other uh, rights. Uh, but what that means is, and specifically, prohibiting the free exercise of religion in the United States is supposed to be uh, prohibited. Uh, at the time that this was written, they were talking about um, the intention was, let's not have a state church like some of the states in the United States, such as Connecticut did at that time. But if we're so afraid, we're going to lose the value that we have that gives us the values that we can teach from, that we talk about how to respect one another and how to, how to discuss those difficult issues, Dr. Henson, and, in a respectful way. Where does that whole value come from? Am I out of time? Yes, you are. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And you are my school board representative, Ms. Goodburn, so... I'm sure I'll be, uh, I'm in the Cheyenne Mission North District. Thank you for your time.
Okay, we move on to E1, approval of minutes of the regular meeting of November 28, 2016. So moved. Second. Thank you, Ms. Bisfield. Thank Second. you. Thank you, Ms. Mack. Is there any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 5-0. Uh, E2, approval of the minutes of the special meeting of December 5th, 2016. So Thank you, Dr. Denny. Second. Thank you, Ms. Neighbor. Is there any further discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 5-0. We move to F1, adoption of the agenda. I move for the adoption of the agenda. Thank Se you, Ms. Mack. Second. Thank you, Ms. Neighbor. Is there any further discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 5-0. G1 is approval of the routine, uh, routine business by consent. I move approval of routine business by consent. Thank you, Mrs. Neighbor. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Bisfield. All the, is there any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 5-0. Okay, so that moves us through the consent agenda. Let me get my computer right here. Uh, through the consent agenda, through the consent agenda, down to... M1. M1, Action Educational Services, Dr. Henson. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Before you, have, before you tonight, you have an agreement with Kansas State University and Dr. Sakura Herrera. You've heard her name previously. And, and this is in relation to multi-campus professional development for students, uh, for teachers of CLD students. So we're talking about uh, culturally and linguistically diverse students. So try to say that again, <laughs> culturally and linguistically diverse students. And so Kansas State University, through Dr. Herrera and others, will be providing professional development to participating schools, including Briarwood, Brookridge, Comanche, Crestview, Neiman, Overland Park, Rose Hill, Westridge, Shawnee Mission North, and Shawnee Mission West. Total cost for the professional development is not to exceed $45,000. Uh, we're greatly uh, indebted to Dr. Herrera and all the different projects she's working on with us in the district in relation to our culturally and linguistically diverse students. And uh, some of this uh, revenue will come from grant dollars. And so I'm pleased to bring this before you this evening. Okay. I move approval of M1 agreement with Kansas State and Dr. Herrera. Thank you, Ms. Mack. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Is there any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 5-0. Okay, that removes us to 01, which the President of the Board of Education would recommend approval of the attached 2017-2018 contract for the superintendent. Um, as you all know, or may not know, we um, two times a year we do um, an evaluation of the superintendent. We did that in December. And um, the results are that I am... Um, asking for approval of or recommending the approval of uh, the superintendent's employment contract. Basically nothing changes except for the dates. We just extended in an additional year. Um, it's still a three-year um, uh, contract. Uh, 
and we're just extending that a year. The terms, uh, nothing else changes but the dates. Move approval. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Second. Thank you, Ms. Mack. Is there any other discussion by any board members? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 5-0. And the next one, 02, is the superintendent is recommending approval of the attached 2017-2018 contra contract for the deputy superintendent, Dr. Hinson. Uh, same statement as Mrs. Goodburn applied uh, or provided to you earlier, no change in terms, just extends for one year. Okay. So move. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Second. Thank you, Ms. Bisfield. Is there any other discussion? Ms. Yes. Um, a couple of years ago, we changed our timetable on doing these contracts, and I think some of that information might be good for those in our audience to understand what happened and why we have made that change, just for a little bit of information. We do. Um, we have the superintendent deputy, deputy superintendent's contracts in December. We have all of the cabinets in January. We have everybody else in leadership ranks in February, and we want to lock those in because a number of those individuals, some of those individuals are on one-year contracts, so that locks them into employment for the district uh, in the future. And then we have all of our teaching staff and other employees in March. So it's bringing those in a timely fashion from December. It also aligns with when you're required to do evaluations through the process. One more question to follow up, um, but salary changes are all made after negotiations is that correct with teachers all of the administrative salary changes in relation to the principals you have the right to change anybody else's at any time right and, but with all of our principals and those individuals are locked into contracts and then you make those salary adjustments at whatever time you so desire to make those changes thank you very much any other questions or comments okay all those in favor please say aye aye, aye. all those opposed motion carries five zero we move to P1, Business Services, approval to purchase Cisco Network Equipment. Dr. Henson? We've been working on a replacement filtering system for our iPads. We have been with the uh, Blue Coat web filter. This would change. We've been piloting the Cisco web filtering solution. Uh, it has been uh, very successful thus far. And so tonight, this uh, request of you with expenditures not to exceed 42,897.40 expands the use of the Cisco filtering system for the iPads uh, in the school district. Move approval. Thank you, Ms. Neighbor. Second. Thank you, Ms. Bisfield. Is there any other discussion, questions? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 5-0. Then we move to S1, reports to the board, Dr. Henson. We have been discussing in the district for quite some time professional learning communities. Dr. Gilhouse, our high school administration, some of them are represented tonight. So, Dr. Gilhouse, would you share with the board tonight what you've been working on, please? Good evening. Thank Good evening. you for allowing me to update you on our PLC progress. Um, as Dr. Henson mentioned, I do want to thank each one of the five high schools have representatives here, principals and associate principals, and uh, without all of their work, there's no way that this could come close to uh, 
being successful or being implemented in the right way. We understand that we may run across some speed bumps or roadblocks as we implement this for the first time in our district's history, but feel extremely confident with the plans that we have in place, the work that we've done with our teachers and our staffs, and our communication plan that I'm going to lay out to you for informing the community. So we feel very confident about where we're at. Just a brief update, and we do have a video at the end of this presentation to kind of show you some teachers and a couple of principals that are going to speak to the professional learning communities. We have established a common schedule and created it for all five high schools for not only next semester but for the following school year. And when we say a common, high, a common schedule, we mean every single day. So activities such as homecoming or any type of assembly or things that may impact each one of the different five feeder areas, we will form those activities around our schedule. So we will have Monday, Tuesday, and Friday will be traditional seven-period days. Wednesday will be an odd block day, one, three, five, and seven. And then Thursdays would be an even day, which is where we implement the late start, which is 75 minutes. Class would begin at 8.50. After that would be a shortened seminar, then hours four and six. And again, Friday would be a traditional seven-period day. So we are set on that. We're in good shape. We're looking at 75 minutes for professional learning community time on that late start on each Thursday. The buses, however, would not <coughs> interfere with the a late drop-off. The buses would continue to drop off our high school students at the same time, approximately between 720 and 735 is when students would be dropped off. They could eat breakfast, they could make up tests, they could work on homework, they could work on credit recovery through our virtual platform, which <coughs> is our Edgenuity program. They could receive tutoring or they could collaborate with peers. Students that are being dropped off from their parents, if parents have to be at work by a designated time, it won't interfere with that at all either because the student parents can still drop them off and those students that get there before 8.50 still have all the opportunities that the bus riders have as well. Obviously, students that drive, I'm sure, would probably take advantage of a Starbucks coffee or a little breakfast or possibly even sleeping in late. So we feel really good about that as it does not upset anything with regards to when students may arrive at school. We've put in place a quality academic support plan at all of our schools. We have a quality supervision plans in place. Each one of the students for that late start would go to a designated place around the building. Um, teachers would be working in their professional learning communities. The athletic directors are in charge of the classified staff and personnel to make sure that we have proper supervision in areas like the cafeteria, the library, major common areas, and so forth. So we feel really good about the place that we're at with our supervision plan. Again, might it have to be tweaked? Sure, it will. We've put together a communication plan that will include a letter to the parents and students when we identify a date that we will begin these late starts. We've put together a list of frequently asked questions that will be on each school's website and they will be on the district website. Thank you, Ms. Wintering, for putting that up. Those are some basic general frequently asked questions that will be on each website. We also have created a general informational piece about professional learning communities. Many parents don't have any idea what a professional learning community is. They'll easily be able to access that information as well as watch the video that you are going to see here in about three minutes. So we're, pretty ex we're very excited about that and I think that the building administration will communicate weekly. We'd like to have approximately a month or so 
so that building principals can reach out to our communities weekly via Twitter, via PTA meetings, site council, freshman orientation, SMSD alert, and a variety of different ways that we can communicate and make sure we have all things in place before we begin the late starts. Teachers will create their own professional learning communities norms and their focus and what they will do each week. There is an accountability and a reflection documentation after each professional learning community. We're going to set extremely high expectation for all of our PLCs. They will be data-driven. Where have we been? Where are we now? And where do we want to go? Teachers will also focus on measurable goals, improved instructional strategies, best practices. They'll look at our new curriculum maps and our new playbooks that are going to roll out in January. All of these are aligned with our state standards, and the CNI department has worked very hard on that. Each school's administration has a detailed monitoring plan within the building. And what I mean by that is the administration will be a part of the professional learning communities. The principal, the associates will have designated departments that they will go and interact with the teachers, ask reflective questions, hear about what their plan is, talk about common assessments, formative assessments, differentiated instruction so they're aware of what's going on in that classroom. The PLC time will also have a pre-planned organization each week. And what I mean by that, it could include vertical teams on one, 30, one Thursday. It could be working across the curriculum on the next Thursday. could be with the same content on the following Thursday. We've also taken into, uh, into mind with regards to singletons. For example, there's one band teacher at each school. Who are they going to work on professional learning communities with? Originally, we had kind of planned to use that 75-minute time period where they could travel to designated schools and work together collaboratively. But now, with our instructional technology department, we have a WebEx program that is very similar to video conferencing like FaceTime, where they would all get on at the same designated time from their buildings, be able to talk with each other, pull up information, and share at their home building and save that gas time as well as the travel time to utilize more professional learning community. Uh, We've also worked with our special education department because students that have um, special needs, some of them, when those buses come, we have to have students have pe the proper people that are able to get them off of their buses and take care of them during that 75-minute plan. Each building has a little bit different set of circumstances, but we have a plan at each one of those five schools and have been working with the SPED department. Ultimately, the bottom line here is that our goal with our PLCs is to not just improve teaching, but to improve learning. Ultimately, we want to increase our student achievement. We have very high expectations in this day and age. Administrators, teachers have worked very hard, and professional learning communities are not new to this district. I feel very confident that we're going to implement the late start when we do uh, very efficiently, and it's going to be productive for our kids. Any questions? I have a quick question. Yes. You said all five high schools will be on the same schedule. Is that already started? I mean, will that start in January? That will start in January, okay. even though uh, the late starts in professional learning communities will not start in January, as I foresee. I'm actually meeting with Dr. Henson on Wednesday afternoon. We're also going to meet with the high school principals, and we're going to try and set a concrete date so we can begin the communication plan with okay. our communities. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Questions. Thank you exciting. very much. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's <laughs> going to be really good. We'll play the video. Teaching today has changed drastically than it looked 20 years ago. 
And there is nothing more powerful than a high-functioning professional learning community when it comes to student learning. And that means we have to do things just a little differently than we have in the past. The benefit of the PLC is that it engages everyone in the importance of educating each and every student. And that by working collectively, by working together, we can combine our, our expertise and ensure that we're meeting the needs of all students. And every kid deserves the opportunity to learn in an environment that has been um, really built by a collaborative group of educators that can bring different strengths to the table every day. It's a change in focus from teaching to learning. And when we work together toward ensuring that every student learns, really amazing things happen within the building. The opportunity for our teachers to collaborate is invaluable. Uh, as you know, in Shawnee Mission, we have some master teachers, some amazing instructors in our buildings. And we know that the most effective professional learning is embedded, ongoing, and teacher-driven. And so this past year, we really looked at changing the, the special schedules to allow for grade level teachers to have a common plan time to collaborate with their peers and we need to provide teachers the avenue to make that happen during the school day. Well the teachers uh, really appreciate the opportunity to have time carved out each week for PLC. It's an opportunity to um, meet with each other, share best practices, uh, problem solve issues that we're seeing in the, in the classroom. But most importantly, just a research to help one another to be the best people we can be in the classroom in front of our students to drive instruction, but also, more importantly, to build those positive relationships to get the positive results and create a, a really strong student culture here. Well, I think the students um, benefit from having the best of all of us. PLCs are an opportunity for teachers to have the opportunity, the intentional time, to discuss student learning, best practices, and perhaps something that I think has been missing um, for years, and that's the opportunity to reflect midstream. I think the one of the things that we know is that the most powerful learning for teachers uh, happens real time, embedded, and it's ongoing with one another. Um, it's so much more powerful for our teachers to work together to, again, ensure that guaranteed viable curriculum for all kids. As we look to um, really meet the needs of all kids, as we've embraced the saying, all, all means all in the Shawnee Mission School District, it really means looking at each individual student and what it is that they really need to have as they exit the system and be prepared for either college or career or the next step in life. All of us are trying to work for student engagement and um, you know the PLC gives us a time when strategies aren't working to find out those that, that do and it empowers us in the classroom to make those positive impacts and um, you know to create the best learning environment possible and to help each other push in the right direction which I think is healthy for the overall school culture. That is really key if students are going to be successful, um, if you're going to be bringing everyone along as opposed to pushing your way to uh, the end and then looking to see who actually showed up at the finish line with you.
And I would like to thank the communications department for their excellent work on the frequently asked questions and the video. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we move to T1, comments from board members. Ms. Neighbor. Thank you. I know we had a lot of um, emotional testimony uh, or speaking tonight, and thank you all for coming out. I wish people would stay longer because you just learned something that you didn't know about before. And um, it's important to see the broad spectrum because I heard a couple people speak tonight that there wasn't any communication. If you don't come, you don't learn. If you don't watch it live streamed, you don't learn. Because I know in all of our buildings, our superintendent and our administrative staff held meetings at every school about times, colors, what they were planning. And that is extremely important to we, the board, because you are the people that are going to be using it. Your children are the ones that are going to benefit. But they're only going to benefit if you also make yourself lifelong learners. Come, ask questions. We'll be glad to offer you whatever you need. But thank you and happy holidays. Anybody else? Dr. Denny. I move that the Board of Education recess to executive session in order to discuss matters relating to the acquisition of real property. The meeting will reconvene at 8.50, and no further business will be conducted following executive session. Second. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Thank you, Ms. Mack. All those in favor? Any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Okay. Thank you. Oh, motion carries 5-0. Sorry.